With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome back to another episode of Around the Coin. Today, I interviewed Pat Duffy, the founder of The Giving Block. Uh, Pat Duffy and Alex Wilson started The Giving Block in 2018, developing solutions that charities, universities, and other nonprofits use to fundraise cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. They quickly became the leading crypto fundraising experts through their explosive growth uh, at their programs at Save the Children's and United Way Worldwide. Over the last four years, the giving block has turned cryptocurrency into the fastest growing donation method, founding the industry's giving pledge, giving days, and crowdfunding platform. I enjoyed the conversation with Pat. We talked a lot about the philosophy of nonprofits and philanthropy. We discussed how crypto is changing philanthropy. We talked about the impacts that the giving block has in the ecosystem. And I really appreciated Pat's honesty and willingness to dig into the weeds with me, thinking about the different incentive structures, the ways that companies raise. I'm generally very supportive of companies being very transparent. I think that's a fantastic way to build trust. And we talked about transparency across the nonprofit space and the impacts of that. All sorts of interesting dynamics when it comes to nonprofits, and we explored a lot of it. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. The show today is sponsored by Otter Labs. At HireOtter.com, you can find access to a community of developers down in South America. Otter Labs focuses on placing software developers with permanent, long-term, existing, funded, established companies. So you can reach out to the folks at HireOtter.com if you're looking to bring on software developers for your existing company. And with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. This was a exciting, in-depth, and dynamic conversation with Pat Duffy. All right. So as easy as that, we are live. Uh, I've got... Pat Duffy, the co-founder of The Giving Block, which is a pretty amazing organization, really focused on allowing organizations, private companies, and people to donate to nonprofits is the high line. Uh, you started off with your partner doing consulting for nonprofits. Is that the general background and how you got into this? I'd love to hear sort of the early days. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, so pretty much Alex, my, my co-founder, got me into trading crypto just a little bit in 2017. 
it was uh, like end of 2017. So like right when I got in, everything just went up a lot immediately. And I thought I was making a lot of smart moves um, and moved a bunch of money in at the beginning of 2018, right before it all dumped. But same time, I was working at a nonprofit and we just saw like the, uh, you know, the Ashton Kutcher donation on Ellen DeGeneres. And, uh, you know, we saw the Pineapple Fund blowing up and all these charities telling stories just because we were at that intersection. Um, so we, the first thing we did was one, like get my organization set up, take crypto, built some automations, hired a, a dev out of China to build the first version of our product, but just for the charity I was at. And then most of it was like decks and presentations because everyone was so scared of it. At the nonprofit I was at, like explaining what is crypto, how to fundraise it, identifying companies we could partner with. Um, yeah. And pretty much like the tax incentives and how to make those appeals. And, you know, within short order, we were just popping up a Wix site and sending emails and nights and weekends out to charities being like, Hey, we'd like to start a similar conversation with you. Uh, and then it took a while to build it up, but in short, yeah, we started building crypto philanthropy programs at nonprofits one by one. And today we have, uh, you know, about 500. Wow. So you were at the lupus foundation is that right and they, they yeah. wanted to or maybe you encouraged them or they were interested yeah. in accepting bitcoin via donations yeah i'd say they wanted to as a stretch it was definitely kicking and screaming at the beginning um which we now talk about as like blockchain fatigue when we we get someone who's really gung-ho at an organization we're like we're going to do everything immediately it's like start slow right like you guys yeah. have a lot of other stuff going on um but yeah we we set them up at our first program uh, was leading up in that 2018 until the end of 2018 for this lupus foundation gala. And like I had bought most of my Ethereum at like $1,400 a unit, like right at the top of the market. And the night of the gala is when Ethereum dipped below $90 a unit, for instance. So we spent like months planning. Um, and we still got like a table with like a dozen crypto people. They announced it from the stage where my crypto people at. People could donate crypto as a part of the gala. It was still really fun and exciting, even though the market was down. Um, and that was our first kind of entry into the fact that crypto, even in like worst case scenario, is like this really exciting thing that could help charities activate their audience. Mm. And was there structural challenges with, with, with accepting Bitcoin or are there today or is it more just cultural? I mean, you set up a wallet and then you just transfer it into their bank account. Is there yeah. more technical it, difficulty than that? Yeah, there's a ton, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's different for... <laughs> Yeah, for the donors and the nonprofits, because the donor, the, the way that individuals interact with crypto versus nonprofits is totally different. Um, so we end up with a lot of friction sometimes where it's like this donor is trying to do something nice and like send a nonprofit, like a, an expensive NFT or uh, cryptocurrency, whatever it might be. And the nonprofit thinks they can just like pop open a wallet and it's kind of easy. But then in short, like one of the main reasons people give crypto is the tax incentive. So mm treated the same as stocks. It's a you know, non-cash asset, property asset. Um, so you don't just get the write-off with crypto, but you don't owe capital gains on the crypto you're giving. So it's like uniquely incentivized to give to charity. Um, so in short, if a nonprofit, like Gary in accounting, just opens up like a wallet somewhere with no paper trail back to the charity, and then the donor is like, hey, I gave a million dollars to this charity. And the charity's like, we received a million dollars. And they're kind of like, prove that you own this wallet, the IRS is pretty much not very sophisticated. So it's much better for a charity to have like an institutional account set up. And then things like how the charity sells that crypto, if they're holding it, should they have a financial plan? And how should they do receiving for the donor? If the donor needs an appraisal, if it's above a certain amount, does the nonprofit say what it's worth? Is it at the time of donation? There's all these kind of little things that happen once the gift is sent. 
So we just like automate a lot of that stuff away. Mm. So you said mentioned a couple of things. I just want to make sure I understand them. So uh, the the IRS needs to have a paper trail specifically on the receiving side for the the nonprofit to say that they they saw they realized the gain. So they realized the donation. Uh, it wasn't you know presumably people can can fraudulently claim that they donated to an organization for tax write offs and then they don't actually do it. So the IRS is trying to prevent that. So. The, the example of Gary and accounting starting the wallet means that the people donating isn't, isn't not being recorded in the ledger or the uh, like P and L statement for the nonprofit. It, it, would it be difficult for the nonprofit to just kind of set up, uh, you know, multiple accounts and just have that be recorded? I, I don't yeah. understand why it's difficult for the nonprofit to accept currencies yeah. and multiple wallets. It's a, it's a good question. So it depends on how you want to do it. It's not that it's like ir- irreconcilable. Um, it's more just a matter of like, so imagine a gift goes this way, which is kind of how our system works. Uh, donor wants to send crypto to the charity rather than it being like a static wallet address or something like that. Let's say it's dynamic wallets. You know, you have uh, an exchange account that can serve that up. There's like API functionality. Um, donor can show up. We have widgets that we use. And there's also like custom builds. Some of our partners use. But in short, they can just pick the charity they want to give and get one of those served up. They can plug in an email that pairs to that wallet address. So it's a one-to-one match. They can send their donation to that charity account. Um, as soon as the donation is received, the donor can receive an automated receipt that does everything they need to go to the IRS. It's like, hey, here's the nonprofit's EIN. They have 501c3 status. Here's their address. Here's the information around the transaction. How many units I sent. What is the cryptocurrency TX ID? Um, and then the nonprofit has... FDIC insured cash because it's on an exchange versus like a wallet because it's automatically converted by a program we run on the back end. Um, so in short, nonprofits can take cryptocurrency. The donor can get the full tax incentive with all the documentation they need to not have to like call a nonprofit mm. or like do research and follow up. Um, and because that is an account with like paperwork at an exchange in the event that there ever were to be auditing of that transaction record, it's like a very formally owned account by a nonprofit institution with the right tax status and the user has the you know the receipt to prove that so it just makes life a lot easier for for yeah. both sides of the, the equation right. and you guys come in there and you'll store this data the tax id the address all this stuff and you'll send it to the donor when they make a donation so the donor doesn't have to ask the the uh, charity or the nonprofit yeah. directly and we yeah. can do that even if they give anonymously like all you have to do in our system is plug in an email which is important. It's like an interesting donation culture thing for nonprofits. Cause usually like the amount of information nonprofits collect when you try to give them 10 bucks is like, you're, you're like buying a car. It just <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Um, cause charities have this thing, like they want to steward donors. They're like, if you're getting a donation, like you need all this donor data. So you can send them a Christmas card you can give them a right. call. Hey, we're running capital campaign. But lots of people don't like that. And crypto it's uniquely, uh, you know, privacy centric. So if the donor can get all of this information, compiled in a way that the charity would put it together you know they're signed off on it through their partnership with us they get everything they need just by plugging in an email even if it's like a you know proton mail or whatever else it is that's all they're sharing with any third-party entity and they've made a contribution to a charity that has all the institutional paper trail and everything they need to just go to the irs and claim it um from like a crypto user standpoint that's amazing for charities you know you're opening an account and from then on out you're just getting usd Mm. Wow. So now are, are you seeing nonprofits um, push crypto in particular where they're trying to, because it seems so much easier than, 
raising money in the traditional way, like you mentioned, is this now a priority even for some nonprofits or are they trying to incentivize BTC over USD? Yeah, I wouldn't say over. Uh, There's some smaller ones who are doing that where it's like they just really couldn't break through um, with traditional fundraising and they just had a brand, you know, it's gaming related or just kind of a young uh, code to inspire is an example, just where it's an organization that's teaching women to code um, in Afghanistan. And then also women in Afghanistan, because it's, you know, the, it's tough to be a woman. Like you don't have autonomy. You can't just control a bank account. You need like, um, you know, some male, uh, person, your father, your husband, something to, to tell you whether or not you can have money in a certain place and move it, et cetera. It's giving them like financial autonomy. And then they're also like learning to code, uh, blockchain coding in addition to regular coding. It's like, that's a perfect fit, obviously, for like crypto fundraising specifically. So they've really expanded their organization through that as a main channel. Generally speaking, no, it's not like a thing you emphasize over everything else. Um, I think for smaller groups, usually it could be a bit of a distraction. There are definitely Mm -hmm. small groups who reach out to us and they think it's like a lottery ticket where they don't really have a mobile optimized site or a social media game. And they're like, Hey, but this Bitcoin thing, you know, well, let's go all in on this. Maybe this will be the, it's like, probably not. Um, mm. you know, it could be, you could hit it big, but we try to avoid that sort of a relationship. It's mostly charities who, you know, they fundraise, they have a social media game. They're trying to like get younger, get in front of new donors, you know, the next generation of high net worth individuals, investors and tech guys. Um, and crypto is a great way into that. And then you layer on top of that, that it's like really fun and exciting. Um, so when they're doing something like end of year, giving Tuesday, they just go, Hey, we take crypto too. And suddenly every post is a little more exciting and, uh, you know, they're getting a little, a little more money. Yeah, that's awesome. And where, help me understand the, the traction you guys have had so far, both in the number of nonprofits and the number of donations, anything else that's relevant. Yeah. As, uh, as as investors of our say like it's not scalable some of the stuff we're doing so it's really fun for the time being but some of it's starting to shift so we can for the sake of the charities to just drive more uh volume uh but the beginning stages were literally just instead of we, we kind of had a fork you could either kind of set up a, a donor advised fund type strategy where you can just process gifts for charities and convert it to us dollars and then like send them the money and then any donor in the world could just give to any charity which sounds on paper smart and we thought about it a lot, but it's pretty much every charity we reach out to, we're like, fine, but they're not going to actively engage with a system like that. It's nothing to do with anyone individually. There's no skin in the game. They're not being strategic about it. They're not like invested in anything. Um, so we built programs. We just, instead of finding new charities that would make it easy to get into with like a beginner product, we found all the charities that were fundraising crypto successfully and just started talking to a team about like how to level up. Like, what's wrong with your technical products? Like, where are you wasting time? Where do you have confusion? What are your donors' questions? And then, like, how do you guys fundraise? And how can we leverage your existing fundraising engines to, like, drive more crypto? So instead of getting, like, 50 grand a year, you can get, like, for big charities, you know, millions of dollars on an annual basis. Um, So that was the beginning, just building, like, the Save the Children's, the United Way Worldwide's, like, really successful um, crypto fundraising charities into like dramatically more successful ones. So like we wanted to become the experts when it comes to not only accepting crypto, but fundraising it really effectively. Um, and then kind of phase two was engaging the donor community, which, um, I think that's probably more unique about what we're doing than even the crypto piece. Like 
in the nonprofit industry in general, there are things like Giving Tuesday, right? Like a day where everyone donates. And then there are things like the Founders Pledge, a pledge for billionaires and rich mm. people to, to donate to charities. There are corporate philanthropy programs at the companies. There are individuals who give in large amounts. They don't go through one thing. Um, so we just kind of built the culture from the ground up for the crypto industry. So like we ran and created Bitcoin Tuesday. We created crypto philanthropy programs with like Gemini and other exchanges and companies. Um, we created the crypto giving pledge for, you know, folks like everyone from, from Tony Hawk to FTX, to like take this pledge to donate to charity every year. Um, and at the same time, just kind of hone the product and scale that product. And now we are finally kind of in that phase where the technical product and the team is scaling to the point where we can really kind of open up to the nonprofit community and be like, Hey, every nonprofit for the most part can now engage with the system. It's easy enough to get set up to take this thing. Um, and we can just start opening the crypto community up so that the vast majority of users are like ready to give in this way. Mm. Wow. That sounds, that sounds awesome. Um, can you mention how, how much, or do you track how much has been donated through the platform or how many different yeah. nonprofits are on there? Yeah. We try to separate out like crowdfunding versus institutional. Like this is like, inside baseball, nonprofit industry stuff, but there's a lot of companies that'll work with like some institutional players where it's just like, they do a ton of volume, but it's like a handful of people just giving a hundred mil. So in terms of crowdfunding, which is different, um, we have two really interesting numbers. So one is over 80% of donations we process uh, are new donors, not existing. So in short, wow. our campaigns, our partnerships with crypto exchanges and wallet providers, the integrations that we're putting on tactical products, uh, the crypto giving pledge, um, the crowdfunding platform that we have that kind of suck people in off of search on the internet to give to charities, that's driving 80% of the volume. So the groups we're working with are getting almost all new money. Um, two, we just uh, in the last month passed uh, an average of 50K per charity we work with, um, which is an amazing number. We'd like to keep that number going up even on a per charity basis as the user base grows. Um, and then right now in terms of crowdfunding, like just new money rolling in, we're seeing millions of dollars on a monthly basis where last year we raised $4 million total in crowdfunding. Wow. Wow. So we're seeing close to that on a month to month basis now. Wow. That's wild. And are you guys, uh, earning your, how are you paying your rent? And uh, I mean, as a company, are you taking a, yeah. a fraction of that? Or I think there's another model where you can ask people to donate to the platform um, yeah, we're, we're always trying to reevaluate like the best way to do it. Um, but in short, like right now we're a hybrid model. So it's like charities need different services. This is the not scalable part, like the consulting, like some charities are just like, I want to take crypto, no headaches. Um, so like we just have lower level subscriptions for stuff like that. And then there are some charities that are like, Hey, we want to have monthly meetings and like major gifts training and build an ad grants program and SEO everything. Um, those charities like pay kind of larger, we, we become like consultants for those groups. Mm. Um, so like the first and most important part is like enter at your comfort level and like making that mm. those packages um, really easy just for like being the best platform for nonprofits to get started for the first time. And then also build like the most sophisticated programs of all time. We don't want like a low ceiling. We don't want a high floor. Um, and then the other piece is processing, which varies based on partnerships. There are some partnerships where it's like, working with charities or institutions that like do a bunch of volume they're like we want a technical product and then those are just like super low fees because we end up being like a paypal for crypto mm. in that sense so it's 
I mean, it's just a, a very scalable technical piece. And then there are some charities that need, again, like 80% of volume driven in from, from the stuff that we're doing. So we have to do all kind of the fundraising and the hustling. And then that becomes more like a platform fee uh, mm. where the number goes up higher. And the fee, the fee is, is paid. Is it, is it shown to the nonprofit or shown to the person donating? Uh, fees are from the nonprofit side. So nonprofits like voluntarily, they're like, you know, the, the nonprofit Mm -hmm. pretty much decides kind of what level they're coming in at. Um, Mm. and if they want to use our services, the numbers, as you would imagine, like they need to raise dramatically more money with us than like whatever the alternative is. Um, and then we can collect fees that are proportionate to that. Interesting. Are you guys, uh, like a typical, uh, structured company for profit or, or is, are you a nonprofit as well? Yeah, we are for profit. So like mm-hmm. everyone who works like at our company is just like making their living, trying to drive as much money as humanly possible into nonprofits via crypto. So like everyone's got like different roles. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think of the, uh, I think Patreon has the model where you can donate to, I forget if Patreon takes a fee specifically when you donate or if they offer, I, 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 I'm curious how yeah. much revenue you could generate if you had the button there that's like, you know, uh, donate to, uh, donate to us, donate to the giving block and just have, you know, maybe even like round up your donation to the nearest dollar so you can kind of fractionalize donations. Yeah. We, we, we look at different ways to do it all the time. We partner with different companies that do it differently. So like some of the integrations we do like work that way, depending on how they build it. It's really the, the weirdest part I'd say of like building a for-profit company in the nonprofit space is there's this psychological barrier you have to get over, right? Where people hate if you make money helping people, which we find like really bizarre <laughs> where it's sort of like, like if you're going to make money, you better be doing something horrific. And it's like, I don't know if that's good yeah. necessarily. So it's sort of like, if you want to, you know, work a hundred hours a week and build like an industry changing product for like the nonprofit sector and nonprofits are like, that is the price point I would want that new and innovative stuff at. Um, eventually you get kind of like the, the radical billionaire who comes in, they're like, I'll give it to you for free. And then all the entrepreneurs leave and we, you have to balance that. Right. So like nonprofits want certain things, like they're willing to pay for it. It drives more money and helps them scale their impact, but like certain price points and like models donors hate. So it's one of those things where it's like, you can actually deliver a lot more in scale a lot faster. If you charge a lot more money and have more stable fee structures, like a SaaS model, mm-hmm. um, donors hate that though. Like if they bring you a nonprofit, they're like, we want you to do all this stuff for the charity. It's like, here's what the charity has to pay. Like people lose their minds. So you have to have like lower SaaS pieces, but then you have to balance that with fees. If you want to scale up and serve more charities. And then if those fees are too high, everyone hates that too. So in short, we've ended up with this hybrid model. So it can be more consistent. The charities want consistent, dependable percentages, and they want a consistent, dependable fee um, so that we can consistently and dependably build the team and deliver products and fundraising outcomes. We've looked at the tipping model, but apparently donors hate that too. Like we're always seeing people blow it up on Twitter where they're like, you know, they're asking me to, you know, to tip, like give money to the company. It's like, this thing's on there. This is bullshit. Um, really? So in where, short, do you, where, does that, yeah. where, where does that, I, I think of it as like, okay, this, if I'm going to donate to a nonprofit, I'm thinking that they probably don't have the team, the technical ability or bandwidth to create this. Uh, so the fact that the, the giving block is here and they're showing me this nice interface and, you know, nice experience where I put my email and get all the taxable information 
it's definitely value add to me and it's value add to the nonprofit I'm donating to. Where, what do you think psychologically people find um, resist? Uh, where, where does that come from? I mean, What's I get it. It's, I think it's very similar to like the logical fallacy of like how bad crypto is for the environment where it's like crypto is bad for the environment, like in a vacuum, like that's obvious, right? So then you have to look at anything. It's like, how bad is this for the environment? And what are the other net positives from like an ethical standpoint? It's like, okay, the human rights stuff we were talking about, like code to inspire. If you're a political actor in China, you can now have a revenue stream. Like people can build up like reserves of capital. Like it doesn't have pool transactions. It's changing how quickly and efficiently you can loan money out, which helps economies scale. Like faster that they scale, the faster we end up with things like air conditioning. Like societies evolve, you get more medicine. It's like, where do, where do you draw the line on like how quickly Bitcoin is getting energy efficient versus the value it provides? It ends up being like a really weird, messy thing. And then you look at banks mm-hmm. printing billions of little sheets of plastic that get dumped into landfills and skyscrapers with air conditioning and a billion cars driving to and from buildings and software development getting manufactured in little chips. And it's just like, how do you reconcile those two things? Um, I think it's one of those things where on paper, it just makes sense. It's like a, like a disgust reaction um, to like the hypocrisy of it, where it's sort of like, you want people, if you're being good, to be good very purely. It's very similar to politics, where people say, yeah. like, you don't want uh, to go into politics if you're a good person, which just leaves shitty people in politics always, because anyone who thinks they're a good person is like, well, I don't want to do that because everyone will hate me. Um, it pushes systematically all of the innovation out of the sector and leaves nonprofits completely incapable of scaling. So it's one of those things where you just have to draw the line and like slowly inch the conversation forward. And you can't charge too much money, which means you can't scale as quickly. Even if nonprofits go, that's how much I'd like to pay for that thing. You have to naturally balance that with the donor perspective and try to move it forward. So in short, um, it'll constantly change. And then like fees will have to go down in certain areas and up in certain areas. And you always have to like demonstrate to donors like how much hard work you're putting in, how much impact you deliver. Like our biggest number being how much new money we're generating. I think if we were a payment processor in crypto, like you wouldn't even be able to exist just based mm-hmm. on kind of the the cultural norms there. If you were just clipping a ticket on donations people were giving to people, I think everyone would hate you. But you mm-hmm. have to be generating like a bunch of new money. You can't just generate uh, technical value. Right. I agree with that. I think that that's kind of hard baked into the ethos of, of blockchain where like we accept the minor fee in, in every transaction. But mm-hmm. beyond that, if you're coming in between me and my my money to the nonprofit, I think it's kind of like, you know, why do we hate when if, if, if there's like a poor person on the street and he's blind and somebody goes in and takes money out of the, the cup that they have? That yeah, it's like you're taking money from the people who need it the most, and we find that I think that's what is repelling. But hundred percent, I think that like when you understand the psychology of it, you can say, well, you can't expect you can expect there to be nonprofits because there's we'll just leave it as like nonprofits exist, but every service that they use, you know, they use Gmail, they use, you know, a a building with air conditioning, like every, every service that they touch is not going to also be nonprofit. They're going to have for-profit businesses that cater to them and they pay the money to the for-profit companies. It it, it does seem to be accepted in that sense. Um, Yeah. And so I imagine when you're doing the consulting services and you're you're layering on layering on value to the nonprofit, aside from the payment flow, it's less less of a friction, le- less pushback from people. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. It's very similar, like what you were describing, like taking money out of the cup. Um, 
it's sort of like uh, if the same reaction were true, if you tried to build a company that would, you know, let's say there's a hundred people, they all need a dollar a day, whatever it is. Like you go out every day and you bring, you know, a hundred and two dollars in, and then you put two in your pocket, but you spend your whole time like bringing a hundred bucks to those people. Like people would be mad that you put two in your pocket. And it's just like, but I can't, yeah. this job can't exist if you don't make money. So then it's like, of course you have to make money, like enough to sustain it. But then it's like, you shouldn't be making a profit. It's like, you don't make a profit that you don't hire. Like that's how every other industry works. Like imagine if you were like, I don't want you to pay people to make my computer work faster. It's like computers aren't going to get faster if we're going to have shitty computers. It's you're going to have shitty nonprofits if no one can make money helping them Yeah, just from like a basic human incentive model. But you don't want to be, you can't make too much of course, because that's completely unethical. So like everyone has a different gray area in between and you got to ride that line. If you're someone who wants to make money, helping people like that's where your entrepreneurship bent is like you're just going to have to deal with that narrative and just keep trying to push forward like deliver the best products and help as many charities as you can despite the fact you're always going to have people who have a different gray area a little below or a little above yours do do you think it's i wonder if because i feel this when i see independent like podcast producers and content producers ask for donations which is quite common it's kind of the default patreon model And, and i donate to maybe six or seven of my favorite content producers, content creators. And I, and I, one of the things I, I feel this hesitancy about, especially when content creators get large, is that uh, they, have, they already have plenty of money. Why do I need to donate? And, and I wish there was more of a culture of transparency on the finances, because when that happens, like there's a company called Buffer that sort of pioneered this in the, the for-profit tech SaaS space. And they publish everything, all their revenue, how much they pay their employees, their CEO, how much their investors make. I mean, everything mm-hmm. that would be, you know, super highly classified in most companies, they're just like, this is what it is. And there's, they're just default to extreme transparency. And they've developed a ton of trust and the company is doing incredibly well, like millions of dollars a month in revenue. And I think that that strategy takes a big leap, but for somebody in the half nonprofit, half for-profit space, yeah. it, it, it would, I don't know if you thought about this, but it would generate a ton of trust. And it's ultimately trust that yes. people are, that you're looking for from people. We think about it constantly. And a lot of our charities, what's funny is like, they're in the exact same position. So there's like, in a very basic sense, there's overhead in general, like nonprofits who are growing, like if they're transparent about that, like they lose a lot of donation volume, like they always do. Like if they're transparent about like how much is coming in and how quickly they're scaling, it's like, they're probably scaling because mm. their idea is good. And it's like working out, like people hate that. Like if you're putting more people in desks to work there, like people hate the, you know, the overhead. Like I right. would never give to a charity that does the zero overhead thing. Cause it's just like, people are hungry. And then a lot of donors go, well, I want a hundred percent of my dollar to end up in that sandwich that goes into a kid's hand. It's like, he's going to come tomorrow. He's going to be hungry again. It's like, you got to yeah. pay someone to sit in the desk and look at why it's happening and make it go away. People need yeah. to come together and come up with ideas, but people hate that. And then the second thing is like nonprofits need to be permitted to throw money away, trying their best to innovate. And that is completely unacceptable. If you're going to try like a big picture project, that if it works, you're going to have a hundred X impact in the reduction of hunger. But if it doesn't, you're going to throw away a lot of money. Charities are never permitted that same like degree of innovation that you see in the for-profit sector. And that's how you get cool shit that actually works more effectively and like really exponentially moves the ball forward. Like that's where this thing, you know, psychologically goes even further. If a nonprofit's very transparent about like, we're going to take risk with our money. It's like everyone gets really upset. We're just like, don't throw away my donation. That could have gone to research right now for medical stuff. It's like, 
yeah, but we're going to try and throw a summit and bring together researchers from all over the world. It's going to cost $800,000 and we're going to spend a week sitting down and then we're going to like put together this packet that goes to the FDA. And we're going to decide on a different set of criteria for like what the biomarkers are to allow a therapy through. And the next hundred companies who come, like they're going to make a lot more medicine, but it's like, try explaining that to a donor. They'll lose their mind. So we are constantly hmm. internally debating like transparency is great so long as it helps the charities. If we do transparency in the wrong way though and people go you know they get five percent into a narrative and they you know the discuss factor kicks and they're like we don't like that because we didn't responsibly enough explain like money goes into this part like we make money here's how we hire our team we build these customer success folks they're not fundraising they're just making sure the nonprofits use this technology faster that saves the nonprofit time but then there's these other people at the nonprofit who now have more time to like fundraise and like drive donations in or if we're running a fundraiser and there's a budget going into that it's like when we don't run one, a million dollars goes in. When we run one, 10 million goes in. But you got to throw a million dollars at that. The nonprofit's net nine. Like, mm. there's so many things you got to bridge to get there. I hope that the industry eventually catches up to this, not just crypto donors, but like donors in general, because I do think right now, like, the number one thing preventing innovation in the nonprofit sector that's like preventing problems from getting solved is good people. And good people are also the main reason they get donations. But like, good people who are just, not interested in nonprofits taking risk, like are really hindering the ability for them to like have innovation budgets or try new things. Did you mean good people as in talented and skilled people and motivated or more like good, morally, ethically good, ethically good Be- yeah. because of the, the disgust factor. And like, if I give you a dollar and it doesn't get to the kid that hurts and it's always going to, which is upsetting, but it's, there's no getting around that. It's true. It's just like a, there's a consequentialist argument to it. And if that happens every time, then like, all those kids get hurt, of course. But I mean, if it never happens, then problems don't get solved. So it's like the gray, yeah. everyone has a different capacity for um, how much money you're willing to throw at innovation versus direct to the cause. And there's this tension that's constantly kind of playing out. And I, I think of it as a educational problem on some level because there yeah. has to take there has to be operational costs to deliver any value to any person from an organization. I mean, just the sandwich has to be made by somebody, shipped by somebody. The products have to be bought by somebody, which means there has to be credit card transactions and reporting and accounting. And like all those things can't just disappear. If they disappeared and a hundred percent of your donation goes to the end cause, well, just send it to the end cause. There's no point of the organization. There's no point of the nonprofit. Just send the kid, you know, your Bitcoin directly. I think that that, on some level from anyone who's sophisticated understands there has to be a back office to manage the the value that's being delivered because on some level the value that's being delivered by the nonprofit is a combination of what the nonprofit is exporting water sandwiches whatever and the organization of that like we have to buy the sandwich put it together put it on a bus deliver it to somebody all that is also included in the total value delivered by the nonprofit and that yeah. seems very intuitive to me, I would be skeptical of a nonprofit that had incredibly inefficient operations. And again, I sure. go back to trust. Like what if, you know, the um, Warren Buffett, 99%, I don't know if it was Warren Buffett who started it, but he's a part of this 99% donation, him and Bill mm-hmm. Gates and a bunch of these um, incredibly wealthy people. What if there was a uh, transparency pledge across the nonprofit sector where it said, look, we're all, we're kind of in this, uh, we're in this like herd problem where each one of us are are incentivized to not expose our our financial 
mm-hmm. details because if we do, then people are going to see that we're making more money than they thought they would, and they're going to donate to somebody else. But if we all do it collectively and we all expose exactly how we operate and the money that we make, it would instill a level of trust across the board. It would raise the tide for everybody. And ultimately, it's about trust. It's that, hey, I want to donate to you because I feel like you're going to manage this money responsibly and do something good. And people who don't publish this transparency pledge would be pressured. uh, They would feel the pressure. They'd say, oh, boy, Mm -hmm. people are looking at us as as non-transparent. And therefore, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. If we're not publishing this pledge, yeah. then maybe we're, we're mismanaging the money and not being efficient. I, I completely agree in principle. If that could be done effectively and it actually worked to where, uh, where innovative nonprofits weren't like crippled by it, I would love it most of the time that this happens. And it's like we have friends like Charity Navigator and like there are all these organizations that are focused on like more efficient giving from like effective altruism that tries to like cut all of the fat down, like what you guys were talking about, um, to organizations that are just trying to give like a transparency rating, like Cherry Navigator. There are these, they serve up this data, um, but it's this weird thing where like, how do you classify overhead? And there's so much uh, debate as to like what is efficient versus what is mm. inefficient. The charities I like the most always get like, excuse me, but like gorilla fucked by, by those mm. sorts of systems. Like anyone who's taking any sort of risk, like we, I, I can think of, uh, there's, there's a charity that, that serves the Haitian population. I won't even say it because it took a bunch of overhead, but they've built kind of this 3D um, arena where people can walk through in a virtual sense because travel is blocked off and they can see these things they used to bring people around on tours to see like the damage and the destruction, like what the community's needs are and make donations from within this ecosystem. It costs so much money. And I think it's going to be brilliant. I think it's going to raise a tremendous amount of money for that. If that came out in a system like what you're describing, everyone would leave. Um, the vast mm. majority of donors just don't have the capacity for it yet. So in short, it's if you talk to anyone in the charity sector who's not playing the game of every dollar you give us goes to a sandwich in a kid's hand, or I, like I came from the healthcare sector, it was always anytime there was a nonprofit sending people to Capitol Hill lobbying for like NIH funding or bring researchers together to change the FDA review process, another charity would always pop up and they'd go hundred percent of your dollar goes to the researcher and they would always win. And then like, there was just never, and, and those other charities would stop doing the things they were doing like hundred percent of the time. They're like, we were going to create like a patient registry and then have that information get relayed to pharma companies. And then you could have these pharma companies developing from the same pool. And you're like bringing these communities together, been in different clinical trials, just like so much money goes into stuff like that. And you just get murked. Like it, we, I worked at the, the Lupus Foundation. There was a counter organization, which I won't name. Um, but every dollar goes to research was their argument. And it was systematically reducing the funding LFA got. And while I was there, I was like, let's redefine research, which is what you're talking about. Let's tell them that making the FDA approval process more efficient or like finding more biomarkers so you can get more drugs through. Like that is research, you know, going to Capitol Hill and bringing people flown in. So they can sit down with their congressman. They're like, we need more money from NIH going to lupus research like specifically. That's research. And it's just like on paper, it's not. And it just isn't worth the uphill battle of like completely converting the mindset of an existing donor base. So when I was leaving, at least they were caving and heading in the direction of let's run campaigns where every dollar goes to research and we'll find kind of behind the scenes, major gift donors and companies to give us those grants to keep the, you know, the lights on. Um, which becomes this fake model that a lot of charities yeah. run where they're like, we have zero overhead because they're lucky enough to know a billionaire. And that's bullshit. Yeah, um, that, it, it really is like, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a facade. It's like, it's, it's this, it's, it doesn't seem so like it's necessary. 
They're forced yeah. into it because people uh, look at this ideal state of a nonprofit of having no overhead as the as as the way that it should be, as the ideal for the operating condition for a nonprofit. And that yeah. seems like just a lack of sophistication across the donor base. And they're good people. Like these yeah. again, these are these are like the imagine. I mean, you don't have to like caring enough about that. Where it's just like it, like it hurt. The only reason you would do that is because it hurts. The idea of you giving a dollar and some of it not getting to like a kid who's hungry again is like the example I always use. That's perfectly reasonable, of course. But like, like I would hope what you're saying, like you could have a system where nonprofits become more transparent and the donor culture shifts, and they're like, yes, this nonprofit has tremendously more overhead, but like three out of these ten like innovative bucket ideas have hit big. And like yeah. one of the 10 is just like, you know, like a VC, it hit a hundred X and like that made up for the rest of the, the risk in the portfolio. And it's like, this is the charity that systematically changed the way we deliver food to these kids. And it's just like, they threw away a lot of money to do it, but ultimately on a five-year timeline, like a lot less people are hungry now because we let yeah. somebody take a risk. This, this is like way off track from the yeah. block, obviously. Um, but in short, yes, we are constantly talking about like end of year reporting. How do we do transparency responsibly? Because it always, you know, every every bit of information we share will change how much money the charities get and then like how much faith the donor base will have in us. So like we have a tremendous responsibility to not only help the charities, but convey that to the donors and then have a business model that everyone's willing to buy into. Um, yeah. It's messy, but it's 100% worthwhile because the, the charities are like electrified by Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Like everything <laughs> they do is a little more exciting. We get 2 a.m. emails, like they're pumped. Um, it's, it's, it's super cool to see them. Like it's transforming the culture inside of the organizations and making them, you know, they've been tired and sitting at a cubicle for five years and someone brought this thing in and now everyone's excited again. It's the whole thing is a really fun, interesting experiment. It's our first company. So, I mean, That's I awesome. definitely wouldn't have wanted yeah. to do it, you know, any other way. Yeah. You're at such an interesting point because you're, you're, you're like the, like, you're like the little shock. You're like the electricity between the whole world of nonprofits and the whole world of crypto and blockchain. And the, the interesting part about that to me is you, you can do things differently and, and sort of steer the, because what we're just talking about is we're observing a, a significant problem in the way that people donate money and the way that the, companies that receive the money, the nonprofits uh, do their branding and marketing and advertising and communications. And it would seem like you could be a lever to, and this aligns with your incentives, which are to increase the donations through your platform. If you were to say, hey, look, like there is a big problem in nonprofits. We can't ignore it any longer because it's coming at the price of people receiving real value. You know, Every organization, every nonprofit organization is doing something very meaningful. And when we're not optimizing for the outcome of what the company is trying to achieve, what the nonprofit is trying to achieve, then we're, we're losing a game of uh, facade here. We're, like, we're pretending we're doing more than we really are just to make ourselves feel good. And in particular, yeah. it's on the, on the donor side. And I, I just think you guys could come out in a way to address this in a way that's uh, respectful and responsible that could increase, like people can level up their understanding of how the, the industry works. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> I've thought about, you've thought about this a lot longer than I have. Uh, so I'm sure there's a lot of dynamics I'm not privy to, but boy, yeah, it does no. seem like a big problem across the nonprofit space. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that we don't. The only other person I've opened like up on this issue with is Charlie Shrem, which is which is funny. We we had a, a conversation about it on his podcast where he really kind of got into, you know, you're a company that serves nonprofits. Like, what's up with that? And it's just like the the crazy industry and how it like again pervades into the nonprofit sector. Where it's just like my dream for the nonprofit sector would be that it becomes one of the most innovative sectors mm-hmm. in the world, which also means that like the smartest, most high powered individuals, like that's what they want to go into, you know, like instead of billionaires just coming out of like creating social media companies, like what if you create like an irrigation system that like worked to like systematically change the way that Africa like gets water to people. And it's just like a gigantic, well, and someone becomes a billionaire doing something like that. Like I would love to see that level of innovation in it, but there's so many bridges to get to the point where it's just like, I wake up in the morning, I open a newspaper and like the American Cancer Society just hired the CEO of Exxon to run that nonprofit. It's like, because that's how big of the incentive it is. And like, they're paying big money, but like, that's someone who can come in and make crazy changes to the way that they get like drugs to trial. And like this person comes in like, and builds an actual empire, like out of a nonprofit organization and like hires all these high power people out of tech and everything else. And it's just like, we cure cancer faster, but it's, there's Mm. so many layers to get to something like that. Um, In short, like we're playing a very, small role just by making it easier for charities to get into crypto but like a lot of that comes down to again like the not scalable parts of what we do the fact that like when we work with charities to build a program we have a subscription um and everything will always push us to like hey make your product really uh simple and completely free and like take out all of the consulting and the human touch like to build out programs because like that's the only way you can do that sort of thing and most things in the nonprofit sector eventually get pushed that way i'm hoping that we can like just keep putting up a, a good fight and like building yeah. these programs for the charities and just keep getting more and more people coming in here and working with them to drive funds in. Um, but eventually, you know, the landscape might shift. There's always yeah. kind of a billionaire that comes into any corner of the nonprofit sector and makes a free version of something and pushes all the the, the entrepreneurs out, um, which definitely could happen to us at some point. I'm just hoping that we can earn kind of enough of the the trust and the buy-in from the crypto community and that they see us, like how hard we're working and all the programs we're building. And they're like, we wouldn't want any other company building this thing out for us. Like if these guys go away, charities are worse off. Um, Mm. So we got to make that case. I I, want to ask you about one thing you said, Uh, you know, you you could see it, you, you envision a future would like to see a future where nonprofits are dramatically more emphasized and and a lot of smart people are are working on nonprofits. Where do you see, I see um, there's two ways I sort of mentally conceive what nonprofits do. One is that, and I'm not sure which mental model is right, but, I see it as a spectrum where on one level you have uh, nonprofits all the way to hyper profitable companies and the nonprofits mm-hmm. are in a way they're incentivized to fill the gaps in society. So if they get too large, then they're now delivering value in a for-profit model and they mm-hmm. make money on that. And it's difficult to distinguish what the line is. I think a good example of where nonprofit categorization has gone wrong is in the United States. Most of the hospitals in major cities are nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're nonprofits is not because they're trying to you know, just do good for people without making money. They make billions of dollars, but they get a write-off on the property tax. So any, mm-hmm. you know, you picture like Cedar sinai is a, you know, 12,000 employee, multi-billion dollar company, uh, not nonprofit company located in Beverly Hills. Well, they don't pay property tax on that real estate because they're nonprofit. You know, they pay their executives hundreds of million, you know, millions of dollars, I, I believe. And 
they have all the all the structure of a for-profit organization, but they're yeah. just classified for that reason. And that to me seems like uh, it's a little distasteful because we're not, they're not actually, you know, only thing they really do, not to knock on Cedars because this is categorization of most nonprofits, they have some initiative, like they'll drive a bus around a low-income area and they'll have a doctor come around for free a couple times a year. And that's how they get the, like get, that's the giving back portion of it that they justify for the nonprofit. Yeah. But it's not, it's not, it's, it's pretty messy. And so I see yeah. like a, you know, I, I, I wonder if nonprofits, do you see it more as like in society, 95% of companies deliver value, deliver more value than they charge. And in exchange for that, they make a profit. And so both sides of the transaction are benefiting. The buyer is benefiting, the seller is benefiting yeah. from trade. And that, but then there's areas where people, where nonprofits are needed to sort of fill in gaps in society, which, yeah, maybe you've thought about this more, but the gaps yeah. are usually from people who can't afford it. Like we're touching on moral issues where the gaps come yes. in. And it's, it's super messy, like metaethics stuff. But like what you're talking about, it's the same thing for me, for the most part, the incentives in the nonprofit sector make sense uh, when they make sense in the for-profit sector and vice versa. Like when they don't make sense, they don't. So something like a hospital, mm. that's, that's a monopoly, right? So like they don't make more money based on delivering disproportionate value in an ecosystem where people can go down the street and go to five other versions of the same thing and get similar care or more innovative care. And like, you can't crack into that sort of thing. It takes brick and mortar. They've got beds, they've got an established reputation and they have, like you're saying, they're operating like a, like a gigantic monolithic monopoly, just like driving in a bunch of money and there's no way to displace them. So there's no incentive to be innovative. So now they're just getting a bunch of money for nothing. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's no reason for them to change. When that is the case in the for-profit sector, it's bad, right? When you have a monopoly that can't be displaced by innovation, that's a huge problem because now the dollar you're spending doesn't become like any more powerful when the product is better. It's just like you get boxed out in the nonprofit sector, exactly the same thing, which is why in some cases you have like really big nonprofits that have built really big organizations because they're hyper efficient and effective and they're leveraging their power in a really effective way. And then you have a bunch of really smaller nonprofits that are trying new interesting things and you're investing in these different smaller nonprofits, like making these donations to kind of like diversify uh, your investments in the different forms of innovation on any particular problem. But then there's also cases where just like there's one big or mid-sized organization that does a really good job and all of the smaller ones have less money, which incentivizes people to give to them. But like they're small because their ideas are bad and like they're not mm. innovating and like they're much less efficient with their money because you can get more efficient as you scale. It's why clothing, you know, costs less when you get it from like a giant facility. Mm. Um, there's middle ground on all of this. And of course you can eventually create a monopoly and then just start charging more for the clothes. And if no one can crack in, now you're just getting the same shirt for less money and it's a ton of overhead. So someone could buy a yacht somewhere. That can happen in the nonprofit sector it would just be like the idea that there shouldn't be economies of scale in the nonprofit sector would be an equal argument against capitalism in the for-profit sector. So like if you don't like capitalism across the board, which is plenty of people feel that way and there are reasonable arguments against it, then I would understand like you'd be equally against it in, in the nonprofit sector. You think it'll create monopolies and waste. Um, if you think capitalism makes the regular economy efficient, I would just appeal to those people and say, like you should expect across the board, obviously some waste and some fad and monopolization in areas that make life difficult, but um, net, like a lot more problems getting solved a lot more efficiently and a lot greater reduction in suffering along a shortened timeline, which is what we should all be on board with, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever gets us to the finish line as fast as possible, 
cures a disease, ends world hunger, mm. you know, cleans up the oceans. It's just like, for me, wherever I can put a dollar and do that most effectively, that's where I want to put it, regardless of if someone's making a hundred grand a year sitting at a desk or you've built something and the, the technology kind of scales independently. Mm. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. It almost is like nonprofits. They're, they're, um, they're cleaning up, they're filling the gaps in many ways of where, uh, the for-profit companies haven't been able to find enough like fuel to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's almost like you'd almost want every nonprofit to eventually disappear because if they solve the problem that they started, you know, like char- charity water, cleaning up the oceans, it's like, well, great. Well, everyone has enough water problem solved. Let's go and start yep. another thing. We clean up the oceans. Great. We're done. Like in theory, when I donate, I would love to see this problem solved and not have this continued incentive. And then there's always like this, a strange, I mean, it's kind of across the the board for profit and nonprofit where they're in some ways incentivized to keep the problem going because that's how they, mm-hmm. you know, fuel their own existence. Like when you think of it as a, a, a core, uh, even if nonprofit and for-profit, they're their own bodies. They're an organization, an organism. They want to stay alive. You know, the self-preservation is their number one concern at the end of the day. If they completely solve the problem of homelessness or cleaning the oceans, well, then they don't exist. And that would be, we can't have that happen. So it's, yeah. In some ways, it's like, again, going back to the earlier conversation, it's like a, a, it's a need to level up the sophistication of the donor base to conceptually understand what is going on, the dynamics at play. So, it's so yeah. messy. <laughs> I mean, this is like, it's so interesting. I, though. It's I, so interesting. I think so too. Like, I have no idea. Just like, imagine if someone listens to twenty minutes of this podcast, where like when we first start cracking it open, it's just like this is the worst guy. I've ever met. Like if you take certain chunk, like this conversation is just riddled where if we were just really high powered, like very well-known individuals, like this would get, this conversation would get chopped up and and used against like, you know, me and and people who want to talk about it and crack it open, talk about like incentive models. And like the thing I said about like American cancer, getting the CEO of Exxon and paying millions of dollars a year, just like, that sounds like a disaster depending on the context of the conversation. And it absolutely still could be. It's just one of those things where I agree, like the donor conversation needs to evolve. But right now, every nonprofit that I know and talk to is like terrified of opening that conversation. And Mm -hmm. there's someone in their sector who's doing the, every dollar you give us goes right to the cause because they have a billionaire company who subsidizes the overhead and they win. They win every single time because people, again, reasonably are terrified of like, I give a dollar to this nonprofit, like any of it going away or to someone who's like building anything that isn't again the sandwich in the kid's hand mm-hmm. is you know you're you're like you said there's there's a blind man getting two bucks taken out of his cup um, that bridge is like so messy and sophisticated it's it, it'll take I feel like lifetimes to start converting yeah. that conversation and everyone would have to get on board together yeah yeah I, I agree there there a lot and this happens across the board when people have malicious intent to make people look worse than they than they know them to actually be. And I, I think a key uh, mental state of mind when having any of these conversations is that we don't know what the answer is. I'm not trying to push any answer. Like this is absolutely the way to a better future. You're at, you're clearly not doing that, admitting that it's complicated and that we don't really know. And here's what I think I know. And here's how, how likely it is to be true. And when you have that attitude, you're not attached 
almost like religiously to ideas and outcomes. Mm -hmm. If you're like, I absolutely know the answer. This is the way society should be structured and I'm going to fight forever to make this happen. Well, what, what if you're a little bit wrong? What if you're wrong? And and it's like, if you come at it with like an open-mindedness, you can have conversations and get to better solutions. If it's a debate over who's winning and who's losing, this is, this is how we end up with the sort of unhealthy politics we have today because it's a competition on, on hierarchy, not on outcomes. So uh, I, I think it. there's a lot of faith I have in people being able to see through the mirage of what the intentions are and people's attitudes. And when you see someone truly coming at a complex issue with the intention of trying to make it better and knowing that and, and being open that their ideas might be wrong, but here's what I think you can't get, no one feels angry at that person. You never see that ever. You know, no one, no one's angry at a person that doesn't necessarily know the answers. They're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. For the most part, I guess you're in for a the most part. Position. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, for anyone who disagrees. And again, it is perfectly reasonable to want, um, zero overhead nonprofit ever. And there are some, and let me say this also, there are a lot of nonprofit areas that don't need innovation. They just need mm-hmm. the money going to the thing. Like there's, there's no reasonable alternative than like putting money somewhere and having it get there. Like, and in those cases, it is insane to like, think that you need like this crazy engine you will end up with like nonprofit leaders at conferences you know drinking wine and flying around and just like talking shit which does happen like you don't want that in certain areas you just have to think critically about which areas those are um and in short like anyone who donates to our charities or likes us and the stuff that we're working on who's like curious to learn more about what we do like talk to us and i would also say just like reach out to our charities like our clients are Mm. publicly listed um again, like we do charge fees for the charities we work with. And then there are like plenty of ways for them to, you know, open an institutional account somewhere and take crypto more or less for free. And like that, that, that is always available to any organization. Um, and we have like over 90% of the, the nonprofit market right now. Like we have to deliver disproportionate amounts of value constantly. And like everyone at these charities that we're working with needs to feel the heat that we're bringing and like get the expertise that we're delivering. We need to deliver money. We need to deliver better technical products, save them time, make them better at all the stuff that they do when it comes to crypto fundraising. And the minute we don't, like there's a lot of, you know, PayPal's for crypto out there where like any charity Mm -hmm. can just get set up and move on without us. We're very anti-vendor lock. We're not going to build a CRM like every nonprofit services company. So like all your data is locked down with us. Um, we're going to just keep heading in the direction of like charging nonprofits for like delivering as much value as we possibly can. And when you give a charity the opportunity to do that or not do it, like they make that choice and like, this is what they want. So to try to take that away from them, even though it feels like a nice thing to do is not nice. If you support a charity mm-hmm. and they don't want that, which does exist, like there's still that 10% of the market, like definitely don't like there's plenty of ways again to like open an institutional account and any nonprofit who's small, who reaches out to us, like we send a series of instructions if they're like really tiny on like how to open one up because you don't need all of our stuff. We become a huge distraction. Um, mm. So in short, like our, our intent here is to deliver as much value as we possibly can. Um, and like just build up with what we hope is a kick-ass company with thousands of nonprofits, like building yeah. crypto philanthropy programs through us and a bunch of companies and individuals in the crypto space who would rather give through us than any alternative. Yeah. Well, Pat, congrats on all the progress you've made. I mean, it's f- clear to me, for anyone else listening as well, that you guys are headed in a direction, at least that you've and all your experience truly believe is uniquely valuable for the nonprofits and for people trying to donate. And I-, I come out of this conversation with a bit more understanding 
of how the nonprofit space works and also an appreciation for the complexity, the psychological, financial, social, economic complexity of all of it. So to just just come at this from a simple a simple understanding of, oh, this is how nonprofits should operate uh, is is not I can say with relative certainty that is not the case. It's, it's complicated. And, uh, and yeah, thank you for being willing to dive into the, the mucky mess to make some some order out of the chaos. Yeah. Thank you for uh, a complex and nuanced conversation. Can I do a quick, uh, like recap on, on ways that sure, folks can, can work do. with us? Okay. Um, so if you are a donor who supports a nonprofit or you're a nonprofit person, like reach out, you can book a demo with us. We can run through the product and all the stuff we do. Um, if you are a donor and influencer, NFT artist, a crypto company, and you're trying to do something crypto related, we build crypto philanthropy programs. For companies, integrations on products, uh, volunteer opportunities at the charities we work with. Uh, we run campaigns with companies. We'll do like NFT drops that are charitable, like whatever it might be. We do that. And if you're an individual with any sort of a voice, like we want to activate you guys mostly in the month of December is when the, the most donations happen, you know, to, to get out there and, you know, run little micro fundraisers to get the folks who follow you and care about you to support the charities as well. Um, so yeah, donors, if you're giving through us, thank you so much for supporting us and the charities. Uh, and if you haven't, please do check us out. Love it, man. Keep crushing. Keep doing your thing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, Pat. Take care. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you.